Well, hello there, listener. Welcome to the theater, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. It's been quite a long absence for us, so thank you very much for your patience. It's great to be here. It's great to be back. We have a slate of interesting episodes for you over the coming months, including um, something for Black History Month in October, which I'm really looking forward to. Stay tuned as well for some big announcements from the podcast uh, in the next couple of months, as we have some really exciting things planned for you. But for today, we have the third episode in our ongoing discussion on the theme of ethical leadership, presented by Salman Ahmed and Ayam Uzbahi. This time around, they are joined by Professor Joyce Little of Northumbria University for a conversation on public value in the healthcare service. It's a really interesting conversation that covers what value looks like for a public body like the NHS in terms of service delivery, who creates this value, and what this means for surgeons and other healthcare professionals. We hope that you as a listener will be able to take away what you hear today and consider what value creation looks like in your own workplace. As always, we really appreciate your feedback and are keen to hear from you. So if you have any general comments or want to propose an episode topic, please do reach out to us on social media via the usual college channels, or you can email me at podcast at rcseng.ac.uk. Enjoy the episode, everyone. So when I say about healthcare, of course, bureaucratic, what I think I mean is that we, we need to think more bottom-up rather than top-down because our models of reform have all been governed by very much top-down impositions. The value of healthcare has now moved towards addressing health needs to now addressing societal needs. Now, that's quite a big ask of a healthcare service. We can think of public and social value being about um, wider society, political values, economic values, but actually we need to understand the complexity of the system. We have come to sort of a recommendation that the bigger training and wider engagement of the stakeholders is required, not just the management courses perhaps, where we can create a certain form of culture which is systemically kind of looking forward towards making system better. But if you're a patient and you're you know, have a family or you're part of a patient group or, you know, a whole range of different kind of supportive agencies around that patient might well have a view as well on how that person's healthcare should be activated or, you know, what the intervention should be. Hello, welcome all listeners. I'm Salman Ahmed and I'm back again with my co-host Ayam Usmahi. Today's topic is uh, unique but very relevant. We will be discussing the concept of public value creation in the context of public management and uh, with particular focus on modern day NHS. Public value is an interesting subject. Intellectually, sometimes it is described as relatively easy um, to understand, but it gets quite complex very quickly. It is described as an activity or contribution made by a public sector organization to the society. It is comparable to the concept of value creation in the private sector where the success can be measured in financial terms. Aya, do you want to say something about this? Um, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I guess what we can add is, you know, it's, it's, it's what it means, isn't it? The public value is value, what is valuable for the public? So what is managerial success? How do we reshape an organisation in such a way that it does become more valuable to the public? 
Um, and uh, I'd just like to introduce um, our guest speaker today. So today we are delighted to be joined by Professor Joyce Liddell, who is a Professor of Leadership and Management based in Newcastle uh, Business School. Um, Professor Liddell is very well published, a very well published academic in this area, but she's also published very widely on topics of public sector leadership, um, new public management and governance challenges. And she's won many, many awards, including uh, the recent uh, Best Paper Award in uh, 2022. Thank you very much, um, Salman, and also to IF. As Salman, um, you said, I'm a professor in the leadership and enterprise. I have many years of experience working uh, within the civil service, and my area of work is, as you said, public leadership and enterprise. Luckily, I've been working on these issues of um, public governance and uh, social and public value and trying to make some sense of how this works in, a, in the world of practice. And uh, so I'm delighted to be here. And um, again, thank you for inviting me. Kind of before we go into the topic in more detail, um, I just wanted to ask to set the scene, this concept of public value and as opposed to, I guess, private value. Can you enlighten us as to what that means and what this concept of public value creation, you know, what it is, um, you know, from an academic perspective, but also how it's relevant to modern healthcare? Well, actually, public value and social value, you can't really think about it without thinking about the notion of quality and improving quality and enhancing performance within, not just within the NHS, but within all public service agencies. So I think what it is actually about trying to co-create value, however we define value, and we can perhaps talk about that later, uh, amongst a, a whole range of stakeholders within a particular public organisation, in this case, in the NHS. And so it's not just about the patient, for example, within the healthcare system, although they are very important, but it's about trying to co-create value and find the blockages to where value might be kind of locked into the, the entire system for a whole range of stakeholders. So that might be, you know, um, patients, staff, you know, this is today when we're having a, a large strike going on, you know, striking for, for more money. You know, the, the, the consultants, the surgeons, the, uh, the cleaners, the people who work within the system. And it's about trying to enhance and improve everything that you do in the NHS, everything that you do within the system. So there have been lots of attempts to try and, if you like, quantify or monetize um, what we mean by value. But actually, there's not a great deal written about, you know, um, anything that's really been very successful in that. And so what, what we're trying to do within the healthcare system and with the public agencies is really to look at how you can look at the experiences of either the patient or other people as they come into contact with the system how they enter the system, how they go through the system, and at every point within the system as to how you can co-create value. Now, the problem we have, of course, with the NHS is that the NHS isn't just one organisation. It's always been many, many organisations. It's not just a monolithic uh, entity. It's always been a mixed economy of um, service provision within the system, as we call it. So it's very multifaceted. It operates on many different levels. It operates uh, with lots of different people, a different kind of power structures as well. So there isn't one size fits all for what we mean by co-creating value because every person within the system will have a different interpretation of what is valuable to them and how you can improve and enhance that value. If, for example, you're a surgeon 
or you're a nurse coming to contact. And because the um, the notion is um, influenced by you know quality, we have this kind of idea that perhaps we mean top quality or with the best quality. When in actual fact, every person who interacts within the, the um, public services and particularly in the NHS will have a different perception of what they mean by value, what they mean by quality. And that's what makes it even more um, challenging for us to understand what it means. So I think that um, value creation is very, very complex, whether you talk about it in the private sector, whether you talk about it in public sector or NHS in particular, it's very, very complex, operates at different levels. And, um, you know, we really don't have many uh, academic models for having a definitive answer to it. All we can think about is, you know, um, trying to somehow come up with models of, you know, measuring it and evaluating it. And it's very, very complex. Thank you, Prof. We thought we were going to have an, um, I mean, an easy, easy solution to like, you know, one side fits all. But there we are with the <laughs> a complexity getting more uh, difficult. Um, so in the recent book, I've um, come across that, which is on, I think the topic is COVID-19 and its social determinants of health. There was discussion about public value creation as a new way of thinking, like it is something which is beyond, is past the bureaucratic uh, traditional model of hierarchy, so it's post-bureaucratic, is after the competitive market, so it's post-competitive, is beyond the remits of the narrow market. You kind of talk about a new paradigm in the policy making and mm -hmm. service delivery that could you could you just elaborate and explain that concept in in the context of when it comes to like you said uh, the patient centered value a personal value or a stakeholder value which is multifaceted you mentioned societal value which is um, we are into the neo democracy perhaps and then political value that how do we actually think um, that this is um, what we need as 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 a country as an organization or as a public so could you just elaborate that for us, please? When, when I said about um, post-bureaucratic and post-bureaucracy and new ways of thinking, I think that we, we really need to set this in the context of how public agencies have tried different methods of reform. But at the same time, we've looked very much to the market. We've looked to the private sector for ideas on how we kind of um, create value. And of course, there's a lot of um, lot of information that's been borrowed from, you know, global examples or from the private examples as well. But I think when we think about um, healthcare, we've got a number of models, you know, you've got the Dahlgren and Whitehead model of health, not just being about sick people. It's more about the kind of um, non-health factors that impact on their health. So, for example, you have cultural and environmental and all sorts of things that impact on a patient before they actually become a patient within the healthcare system. So when I say about healthcare uh, and sorry about um, being post-bureaucratic, what I think I mean is that we, we need to think more bottom up rather than top down because our models of reform have all been governed by very much top down impositions. So we want to bring in all sorts of different. I mean, one, one of the classic examples, I think, is during the 1990s, the health service, and this might sound very controversial, but the health service was had a massive influx of um, uh, what I call number crunchers. A lot of people who came in who were non-clinicians, 
who are there to kind of measure and um, look for um, efficiency savings and how can we introduce new models of you know making sure that we get value for money so during the kind of 1980s and 1990s there was very much an emphasis on the three e's efficiency effectiveness value for money economy now since then i think what we've realized that these things don't have not necessarily worked governments all around the world are trying to get more value for money they're trying to introduce they're, they're all constrained particularly since the since the pandemic and particularly since you know the ukraine war and covid and the um, uh, cost of living crisis and so every government around the world is trying to get more for less but getting more for less is at the same time as where you have finite resources and infinite demands so we have finite resources so governments only have so much to spend but we have increasingly citizen demands so citizens want more from their healthcare system they want more from their um, uh, their gps etc and so we can think of public and social value being about um, you know um, wider society political value economic value but actually we need to understand the complexity of the system so we can think about functionality in other words how do you look at the system as a functional set of units whereby we can release the blockages and uh, release the kind of inertia within the system so that we can enhance service delivery secondly we can look at um, you know financially delivering better outcomes within the resource base that you have thirdly we can look at how um socially the healthcare system can you know enhance and address the wicked issues within society of which health and social determinants of health are manifestly huge we can think about emotional how do medics and clinicians touch on the lives or the well-being well-being of, of individuals how they can improve them as um productive citizens and you know once they leave the healthcare system do that so i think my my view of um post bureaucratic and post top down and post competitive which is where we were with uh, market economy is to think about new ways of thinking novel ways of doing things working in co-creation with patients and others to think up new ideas for how we can think differently about how healthcare is produced and how in- interventions are um activated as well can I ask a supplementary question Aya before you move on to uh, very complex yeah, yeah. uh, just uh, maybe if you can just uh, briefly touch on the fact that you you suggested this um, instead of top top down bottom up approach where we as a shop floor worker it uh, ourselves are very much uh, involved in the care delivery and kind of quite under pressure mm-hmm. uh, at the same time the receiving end which is the end user the pa- our patients are obviously not in the best state to offer some form of co-creation because they are in need of help yeah. so how do we actually connect i mean is there like like you said reimagining or reinventing a new new way of doing things so how do we connect the end user and the shop floor worker which will be perhaps the bottom up approach in order to create or somehow co-create the value or maybe engage them in the process which yeah. in the end with will result in improvement of quality I think you've got to bear in mind that um you as a clinician are coming to this with your own professional set of values that tell you the patient needs to be um made well they need to be operated on they need to be you know need out all this kind of um 
professional knowledge and expertise that you've got that you bring to the co-creation. The patient may well be not in a very good state as they are, you know, engaging in the intervention that you're making, but the patient is also part of a wider societal set of values. So, you know, they have families, they have, you know, other people that they, they are close to. And, and what, what I think what I'm saying is that, you know, it isn't just the patient and the clinician interaction that's important. It's a whole range of different stakeholders within that. So when I say top down, I'm not saying I'm not questioning your professional and clinic, clinical judgment on that. What I'm saying is that the intervention and the interaction that you may have within the healthcare, healthcare system is a whole range of different people involved at different points in the interventions over time. So we could, we've got to start thinking, changing our mindset towards not just being about a doctor, a clinician, a clinician and the patient, they sit within a whole broader range of um, uh, stakeholders, however you define these people, and each will have some input into the system if the system were, um, if you like, geared up to that. But if you're a patient and you're, you know, have a family or you're part of a patient group or, you know, a whole range of different kind of supportive agencies around that patient might well have a view as well on how that person's healthcare should um, be activated or, you know, what the intervention should be. Now, you're touching, Simon, on, on very important power issues here within any sector, whether it be the healthcare sector or any, you know, public sector organisation as well, whether you're the chief executive of a, a local authority, whether you're, you know, the head of um, some kind of cultural organisation or what have you. There are services that are provided and you rely very much on the professional understanding and knowledge and skills of the people at the top of the organisation. That's what leadership's about, isn't it? And so therefore, we, 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 we always kind of revert to that model of hierarchy, top-downness and that kind of thing. It's really, really hard to switch things to kind of bottom up because that's not our natural way of looking at leadership at all. We look at leadership very much as, you know, someone had 20, 25 years of experience and they've gotten to the top and they're therefore the person who knows everything. Well, in actual fact, it's not always the case because there are people within the system that might have maybe not superior clinical um, knowledge, skills and understanding, but could well have some input into whether the patient care is uh, you know, of value. There might be bits of the system where you could you know, have conversations within different stakeholder groups to say, well, first of all, what does value mean to you? And are you getting the adequate value that you thought you were going to get? And so it's about coming to that co-creative understanding of how the healthcare system can operate in the future by thinking about new ways of looking at things in much more innovative and perhaps experimental ways. Some really interesting points that you put across there. I guess one of them that I had was when I was obviously I'm not an academic in the area, but, you know, I've done some research about some of the public value theories and Mark Moore and Bozeman and things like that. And I'm not sure if this is perhaps, I'm just conscious we don't pin everything on the pandemic. I don't know whether the, the value of healthcare has now moved towards, you know, 
addressing health needs to now addressing societal needs and I think yeah. that's something you did you did touch upon now that's quite a big ask of a healthcare service the other part to my question is I guess you know we are putting forward that you know public value and public value co-creation that's really important and asking people kind of what is of value of them in healthcare and you know what are the societal needs that our healthcare services need to address to bring value. Now, some people might say, is this just a distraction from some other serious issues like underfunding, under-resource allocation? And can this concept be exploited by politicians to potentially try and get more for less and underfunding? I'm just thinking of you know, the nurses' strike that's happening now and, and, and various other aspects. I'm, I'm not sure what your your opinion is on that. Well, I think your your point, Aya, was about, you know, whether this could be a, a means of just saying, well, actually, let's cut them even further. You know, if we get more, um, if we get the patient, for example, or say in my case in university, if we get the student to mark their own work, for example, or if we get the um, the student to do more of the work that the professors would have done or whatever, well, that will cut down on resource and all that kind of thing. So I think when you're talking about the healthcare system, though, it's much more difficult to achieve because you're dealing with life and death. You're not dealing with a student who's gone along to a classroom and found that the, the lecturer wasn't there or something like that. That's why the health service is such a political football, because, you know, we hold it so dear because we know when we come into, as a patient, for example, when we come into contact with a, a clinician, we want that clinician to make us better. We want them to, you know, allow us to go back out into society and be a much more productive human being because, you know, you didn't cut the wrong leg off or didn't, sort of, you know, um, make the wrong incision or, or something like that. So I think that the impact on society is so much greater for health, as far as I'm concerned, because we... You know, I mean, a lot of a lot of um, public agencies are now looking at the UN sustainability sustainability development goals now and saying, well, everybody needs you know equality, everybody needs to be healthy, everybody needs clean water, all those kinds of things. And a lot of public agencies are using the UN sustainability goals to kind of determine what they do as, uh, in terms of strategy. Healthcare, universities, local governments are all looking to how they can enhance the quality of their, what they do so that they can have an impact on society. The problem, as we all know, however, is that many of the things that you do as clinicians and many of the things that people do in the healthcare system aren't quantifiable, may not be able to be measured for 10, 15, 20 years. And so this notion of public value and social value are very, very important. But as I said at the earlier part of my um, you know, first question, we haven't really moved very far on on how we measure whether public value and social value is uh, is actually being created because the, the impact um, and the outcomes of um, healthcare or education are a long way down the line over the next 20, you know, however, and sometimes we can't measure everything at all. And so all we can do is do the best we can and assume that we, we see we, we've we've actually moved. I mean, under new public management, we moved towards measuring outputs, measuring what could be measured. In the new world of public value and social value, we're looking to try and think about outcomes, 
an impact on society. And they're even more difficult to measure. I mean, we've had enough difficulty trying to measure outputs in healthcare systems or in local government or in any public agency. But now we're moving towards, you know, can we demonstrate that we are measuring outcomes that have been, if you like, created and co-created within the healthcare system? And that's a big ask, actually. We can't do that in the short term. There's a kind of, there's a long-term element here, you know? You don't know when you, you know, sort of do an incision and take somebody's gallbladder out or what have you, and then sew them up and send them out. You don't know how long that person is going to be productive or not, over what period of time or not, or whether they're going to be, um, a, a, you know, a better kind of productive member of society, a better father, a better mother, a better worker, because many of these things are very difficult to measure. I think that's a very useful insight, and not only it answers the question, but it opens opens new avenues. I think one of those, you know, like you mentioned about the outputs versus outcomes, and, and as clinicians, we have been quite geared up with these sort of terms. Um, but coming back to the value, which we always thought is normative, and perhaps in, in the economic sense is more to do with the productivity versus money, and, you know, it was all coming from, and the private sector production. And when we brought this sense, like you said, in this 80s and 90s into the, the public management, uh, everything was about measuring the efficiency, making it more efficacious and making it more value for money, like in terms of mm-hmm. economic sense. Yeah. Now, with these debates, which were ongoing, and we were trying to make you know, new ways of managing the organization, the size of NHS and, and across the globe, perhaps more things came out of the toolbox of the policymakers. Um, mm-hmm. And because of this drive of measuring the output versus the outcome, I think the, the idea of setting certain targets came into play. Exa- example of that is, you know, measuring the mortality rates, which has been traditionally there in, in different forms of uh, diseases versus the institutions versus the regions. So there has been this kind of uh, a notion in measuring the mortality, and that gives us, us the indication of how well an organization or a society is performing in terms of their, mm-hmm. their, their so- social determinants of health. But yeah. is that measurable outcomes or somehow or can be called as uh, some indicators which are helping us to co-create the value or is it something which is what we are just doing for the sake of creating the efficiency we are not beyond the bureaucracy yet yes i think it's interesting um salmon because what you're talking about is standardization across a very large set of organizations and because the health service is a universal system Everybody expects to get very similar treatment, however they engage with the healthcare system. However, when we look at what happened, I mean, if we go back even before the the 1980s, we didn't even have, academically, we didn't even have this notion of managerialism at all. When I was a civil servant many, many years ago, we were public bureaucrats. We did what, you know, what the, the what the um, our manual told us what to do, you know. Um, but during the 1960s, 70s onwards, this notion of managerialism about controlling resources became, you know, you know, very, very significant. And not just, you know, as it applied to the health service, but generally across society, the the kind of indicators that you're talking about for healthcare 
clearly many of them have allowed patients across the country to uh, raise their expectations of what will be required when they come into when they come into contact with the service or whoever they come into contact. Now you could argue, well, that's really good because it means that we're all upping the, the quality of service more generally. But I think that if you look at the evidence, I'm not sure that that's entirely been the case, hence the kind of the long waiting list, you know, the fact that people can't get, you know, their operations and things like that. So I think managerialism has kind of, if you like, has given people more sort of lists, same in schools, it's given them more evidence to make the judgment on whether they think they are getting a good service or not, whether they're getting value or not. But because it's a universal system and because the healthcare system is made up of all sorts of different kind of levels and different encounters and different staff and what have you, you're never going to get a completely uniform and a completely top quality service right across the piece because you can try and raise the, the level of all, you know, operating theatres or raise the level of all, you know, foundation hospitals. But it's an ideal to think that they're all going to be at the top level and they're all going to, you know, get all of their waiting lists down and they're all going to, um, you know, be able to process lots and lots of patients because the whole system will not allow that because the the interaction between the different parts of the system means that you, you're going to get people who fall through the plug hole, as we say, you know, no matter how good the professionals are, no matter how good the um, systems that you put in place are, that's an ideal. And so measuring, as you said, in the 1980s onwards, when we started to measure, you know, mortality rates and cancer targets and all these kinds of things, these were set indicators from the Department of Health. And they have raised things, I'm sure, and they have improved what we do. But it still, for me, doesn't mean that they will create the kind of value that every individual wants within the system. So if you're a patient in, I don't know, in the middle of Truro down in Cornwall, you know, would you have the same kind of interaction with the system as you would if you were in Glasgow or whatever? Because the other thing I think that's important as well is Patients don't present themselves with the same kind of complaints in one part of the country that they do in another part of the country. Because if we go back to the kind of social determinants of health, they will have had different lifestyles. They will have had different experiences. Many of them will smoke too much or drink too much or, you know, do whatever, you know, as clinicians you wouldn't expect them to do. So they're not coming into the system with the same kind of, toolkit themselves if you like to use your analogy of a toolbox and a toolkit and so every clinical judgment you make will be based on that holistic person that's in front of you that may well have not been like an upstanding citizen who's you know done all the right things and had the right diet and you know you know led a perfectly wonderful life and so I don't think that there's any way that you can get to this um this top quality and social value and public value being, you know, of 100% because of the different components within the system, the different, you know, um, patient um, histories and patient kind of lifestyles and all the kind of things that make for good health. For me, what um, indicators have done is they've created a kind of 
perception within um, the general public that if their trust is hitting all these indicators, well, that makes it a really brilliant trust and everybody wants to go there. But along with, I mean, from a democratic perspective, along with, you know, um, customer perceptions, sorry, client or patient perceptions, there are also rights and responsibilities from a, from a you know, so from a sort of democratic perspective. So you can't not do the things that you're supposed to as a, as a human being and do all the wrong things and then go into a hospital or a trust and assume that the, the doctors will fix you. Because if you haven't, you know, you know, led a fairly good life and done all the right things, you're then presenting and um, assuming that the the, um, the the general practitioners or the or the consultants or all the medics are able to fix you with their toolbox. And I don't think it's quite as simple as that. That's um that's a really interesting point, and I think it it touches on a lot of I guess concepts nowadays about health inequalities. Yeah. and about kind of standardising for health inequalities. And I think a lot of these indicators and metrics were initially designed, and I think a lot of surgeons listening to this will know about things like the Grift audit to try and kind of standardise practice across the country, not just in surgery, but in other, well, not just in general surgery, but, in, you know, in other aspects of healthcare as well. So that, that's, you know, that's quite an interesting point that you pick up on in terms of, I guess, public value, co-creation, health inequalities, and how they're linked to metrics and indicators. Mm -hmm. One thing that strikes me, I guess, you know, uh, Prof, is that, you know, a lot of these debates, a lot of these kind of really good theories seem to be stuck in academic circles. And I think traditionally that's been one of the criticisms of public value theory. And my question is, you know, me as a practicing NHS surgeon in my day-to-day -day practice, how can I be, you know, a value seeker or a value co-creator and how can I contribute this? How can I co-create public value? What are some tangible things that, that I can do in my everyday practice? Well, I think um, in your everyday practice, like everyone who works in the public sector, whether you're in a hospital or a school or you know, any other public organisation, you need to be in a position to be able to equip yourself with more understanding, not just of your clinical practice, but more understanding of the system within which you work. Because again, going back to my very early point, you know, if you want to transform, you know, uh, and, and reform the system of the NHS, you need to understand how the various elements of it fit together. So I think there's a there's a there's a need here for training and i'm not just talking about you know going on short courses and what have you it's about thinking about you know how the system works um how you can be uh, you know a part of that system how the different components you know the patients and the other people who work within the system how they connect together where the blockages are in the system where you know you can look for bundles of capabilities for example to use a kind of Porterish word from the um, the manufacturing uh, world, you know. Now you can't add value to a system if you don't understand the system that you work with within. Now the healthcare system is one of the most complex systems in the world. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. So if you work in a particular part of the the, the NHS trust or or part of the system, you can't necessarily know about you know good practice elsewhere. So how do you find out about the system? So I think for me, um, we should be looking at 
how we can enhance the system, how we can look for opportunities where even within your little world, where you can, you know, improve your clinical practice. But how can you work with people, whether it be patients or anyone else, you know, the people who, you know, push the trolleys and all that kind of thing? How can you all work within your little bit of the system in order to co-create some enhanced value within that? Because you're not going to improve the whole of the healthcare system overnight. This is a long-term thing. This is going to be like years and years and years. But it doesn't mean to say that, that we have to abandon, you know, public value because it's not going to work. It's about looking at the linkages within the system. It's about looking at where you can make value changes within that. But you can do it in a, in a more co-creative co way by asking people who are also engaged in the system. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, this is quite insightful and a very useful sort of discussion. I just want to perhaps come to uh, some form of uh, conclusion as we have touched based on a lot of uh, and variety of uh, complex uh, interactions we have when we talk about co-creation of the value. Now, a lot of this is debated in the academic circle with a lot of perhaps fuzziness just may, may i call that yeah. uh, the 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 items are vague like you mentioned yourself to start with that uh, you know public value isn't very much debated as we like it to be within the context of healthcare as a wider entity or in the particular context of uh, context of nhs itself so now we have come to sort of a recommendation that the bigger training and wider engagement of the stakeholders required, not just the management courses perhaps, where we can create a certain form of culture which is uh, systemically kind of looking forward towards making system better. Mm -hmm. uh, so that isn't there from the intellectual or clever people we call academics out there. And practitioners usually have that lag because they would not um, conceive those things as such, uh, as, as a creator of the model or perhaps a metrics. So how do we bridge that gap and how do we propose that, you know, we get this heard in the higher circles that there has to be some targeted uh, policy towards it? So how do we bridge that gap? And it's quite complex uh, in the grand scheme. I mean, probably I'm asking you to briefly touch on this, but I think it's a very, very big subject. It's a massive subject, actually. I think it's going to be even more challenging when we get into integrated care system uh, up and running, because the, the interaction between the healthcare system and the care system is going to be even more challenging because you've got different professionals from, you know, local government, you know, directors of public health, and then you've got people from the NHS Trust are going to have to work together for the future. I mean, you you, you said an interesting uh, comment there about changing the culture. Um, and one of, one of the ways that you do change the culture of an organisation is to want to, to, to use a better, you know, I can't find a better phrase than get down into the guts of the organisation, which sounds a bit strange talking to, um, to, to clinicians and uh, surgeons on this one, but get down to the guts of the organisation. And I think you need to think about, you know, I mean, first of all, most organisations or bits of organisations don't understand who their stakeholders are. They haven't done any analysis of their stakeholders. They don't know who in the system is going to be impacted on or affected by, you know, their actions. And so just to start very small, you could think about, you know, which, you know, within your particular organization, who are the key stakeholders and which ones hold power? 
and which ones, um, you know, can influence or not our kind of future activities. So a simple, I mean, this comes from uh, managerial stuff anyway, but um, a, single, a simple sort of stakeholder um, analysis would allow you to know about, you know, who were the key people who were impacted on. Now, when we get to talking about how you're impacting on wider society, that's an even bigger ask. I mean, that's something that, you know, none of us can really answer. People are, you know, really kind of, um, academics are really engaging in what we mean by, you know, um, social impacts and what we what we mean by health impacts and how we kind of identify and measure what we're trying to do. It's kind of impossible at this point in time. But I think, again, I would go back to the point that, you know, we, we, we need to think about how everything we do within the healthcare system or everything we do in any public agency organisation can have even small impact on people's lives, you know? So I think it's there are no quick fixes in this game. And I think that um, for me, it would be really good if you could, in your clinician role, could start thinking about you know, how can I enhance what I do for the betterment of my patients, but also for the betterment of my other stakeholders who I may not have even thought about? For example, the family of the patient, or for example, you know, the people who provide care services when the patient goes out into the community, or, or that kind of thing. So there's a whole range of stakeholders that you could think about that are being impacted on by your clinical activity. But in terms of creating social value for the system, no one individual within a healthcare system can do that. But we can try and aim for, you know, top quality, best quality, but it's very complicated. Thank you, Prof Little. Today, it was a wonderful discussion and thank you very much, uh, Prof, for joining us today. Thank you, um, Aya. Thank you, team um, from the Royal College of Surgeons for uh, giving us this platform to discuss this complexity. And we will be back again with another um, episode in the near future. Thank you for listening. I and Salman will be back with us in a couple months for another conversation on ethical leadership. In the meantime, as I said up top, we've got a lot of exciting things planned for you. And please do look out for our Black History Month podcast coming out in early October. Please do reach out if you want to get in touch with us for any reason. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. For any news and updates from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media. Thanks so much.